Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited to share a new episode of our podcast with you. Today, you're going to hear from Coach Carson Stewart. He's currently the wide receiver coach at Bellhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi area. Just a young, young man on fire for Christ, on fire for for coaching young men and, and using the platform of football to spread the love of Jesus. I can't wait for you to hear from Carson, so let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Carson. Hey, appreciate it, man. I'm glad to be here. You bet. I like to start these off with some background information. So if you don't mind, just tell the listeners um, a little bit about um, who you are, where you grew up, your family growing up, um, and then maybe a little bit about what you're doing today. Yeah. So uh, growing up, Stuart, um, I grew up uh, as a product of a single mother, a very hardworking single mother. Um, My dad passed away when I was nine months old. It was myself and my sister uh, growing up. Uh, we were actually in the Alney, Gaithersburg, Darnstown area. We kind of moved around a little bit growing up. Um, kind of being in that, uh, that household was very eye-opening for me growing up. Um, there was never a, a consistent male role model around. Um, and that kind of, we'll get to it later on, I'm sure, that kind of drove me into what I'm doing now. Um, but uh I saw what sacrifice and what love was growing up. Mm. Um, despite the circumstances, there was never any time uh, where there was a shortage of love. Um, and that was, that was cool to see. Um, but growing up, um, played all, all sorts of sports, um, you know, broke, broke bones, did all that, all that cute stuff growing up in the backyard <laughs> and whatnot. Um, you know, my, my sister beat me up all the time, and that's kind of made me a little bit tougher skin today. But uh, had a great family growing up. Um, extended family, grandparents, cousins, all that, that were always supportive, always encouraging. Um, and then as I got older, um, my mother remarried, I guess I was 13 or 14 going into high school. Um, and he lived in the Western part of Maryland, which is where my whole family is originally from. Um, and when they got married, uh, I kind of split time back and forth between the Gaithersburg area, uh, in Western Maryland, Cumberland, Frostburg area. Um, just bouncing back and forth between mom and stepdad. And it's an interesting dynamic. And people always ask, well, if they're married, why didn't they live together? Well, like I said, love and sacrifices, I saw it at, at an early age. And my mom knew that the school system my sister and I were in, in Montgomery County, was mm-hmm. just phenomenal. And she, she wasn't going to take us out of that. Um, and I look back on it today and I'm like, I'm so glad that she didn't. Um, because it was such a diverse area. I learned so much from cultural aspects, um, different socioeconomic statuses, et cetera, um, which have really helped me in my profession now. Um, but with that being said, you know, we kind of bounced back and forth from Gaithersburg to here in Cumberland. Um, and we were able to see our family more often and uh, really live the suburban lifestyle a few days and the rural lifestyle a few other days. A lot of great experiences growing up. Um, a lot of... Uh, a lot of tough experiences as well, but that's kind of um, kind of my early starting point from from a single mother to uh, to where I am now. Um, and now I'm thankful enough to be doing what I love, uh, coaching the wide receivers and the quarterbacks um, at Bellhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi. Just completed my master's degree about two weeks ago, so I'm pretty fired up about that. Um, and I was asked to to stay on staff full time and and take the quarterbacks with me now. And, uh, and I'm excited. So that's where I'm at. That's awesome. Cool. So you talked to, you know, obviously a lot about your family, but 
Talk about from the faith perspective. You grew up in a, you know, was it a faith um, foundation in your family? And then at what point did you make that decision that, you know, you had to make that relationship with Jesus personal? Yeah, great question. Um, growing up, uh, like I said, I saw love and sacrifice every single day. Um, and my mother is an absolute saint. Um, mm. Every single chance she got, she was taking us to church. Um, it didn't happen every Sunday. It didn't happen every other Sunday. But every chance that she got, we were at Redland Baptist Church in Redland, Maryland um, growing up. When we weren't there, we were here in Cumberland at uh, a couple of churches here, one that I attended in college called Central Assemblies of God. Um, and my great-grandfather actually built that church. Um, and my grandfather was a, a, a pastor for some time uh, up here as well. So I was always around the word. Um, mm. I was always around the word from uh, childhood to high school, college, et cetera. Um, but oftentimes I didn't want the word. Mm. Uh, middle school, high school, I, 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 I followed crowds and I, I, I was vulnerable. Um, I wanted to be liked. I wanted to seek validity in people. Um, and in things. And it really kind of got to the point in college, Stuart, where uh, the people I was seeking and the things I was seeking just just weren't it. And, you know, I always knew the word was there, always knew it was mm -hmm. there, um, always had a Bible, um, opened it when I wanted to. Um, and there came a time in college, probably my sophomore, junior year um, in that time where I was like, you know what, I'm done. Uh, I, I am done seeking validity in others and in other things because I know I, I know the truth and now I'm going to seek that. Mm. Um, and that really hit me pretty hard. Um, uh, I, was, I was 18. Technically, I got a Bible from my grandmother. It was my dad's Bible growing up. Um, it, she gifted it to him when he was 18, gave it to me when I was 18, barely opened it. And at that point in time, I was going through that rough patch back in college and I uh, finally opened that thing up. And uh, kind of my life verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, um, find all the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you hope in the future, to prosper you, not to harm you. Um, that was the page marking in that Bible. Wow. And it was really kind of your, uh, your aha moment, your light bulb moment. And I was like, wow. So this is what this whole thing is about. Um, and to see that page marking in that Bible whether I don't know who put the page marking there, when that page marking was there. And I really don't care because it was there for a reason, man. That's right. And, you know, growing up without a father and I always was weary of a plan. Do I have a future, et cetera? I opened that page up and I said, all right, got it. Got it. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. You tell me where to go and I'll go. Um, and ever since then, man, there's just been this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this light, it just shines somewhere and I'm just going, 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 um, all because of that day. Um, wow. I remember it perfectly sitting in my apartment on Grant street in Frostburg, Maryland. I finally said, I'm done. I'm going to open this thing up and I'm just going to go with it. And that page man has, has spoken to me forever. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at. That's powerful. Is that, you know, the first thought I had, you know, we're sharing that story is, you know, we never know the seeds we're planting. You know, you talked about being exposed to the word, being in church as a, as, as a kid, not, not every week, but going to it, always having a Bible around, but never really pursuing it. But the seeds were planted and watered through those years. 
And then when, it, you know, when you made that decision, poof, it's there. And it's, you know, it's just a reminder that we don't, every day we interact with people, we don't know the seeds we're planting. No doubt. You know, we may never see the fruit ourselves. Um, but, you know, it's just a reminder that just keep planting, keep watering and, you know, in, in due time, you know, God will, um, convict the hearts and, and, and people will turn toward him. That's, that's good. I like that. No doubt. Just to harp on that kind of real quick, and then we can move on. Uh, my grandmother is 94 years old, bless her soul. And she lives about 10 minutes from where I am right now at my parents' place here in Maryland. Um, and I went to see her about two weeks ago, practice social distancing, of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> went to see her two weeks ago and uh, we kind of got off on a tangent, in our conversation. And she asked me, how to order a Bible online. She said, I, huh. I want to give a Bible to a friend of mine. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, first of all, how many friends do you have? You're 94 years old. You know, your classmates are probably not around anymore. Um, but one of her neighbors, uh, she wanted to gift them a Bible. And she said, you know, Carson, if I can do one thing in my life, and if I have done it consistently, that's show others the goodness of Christ. Hmm. And she said, just because I'm 94 doesn't mean I can't share the gospel. Wow. And just because my time might be coming to an end soon doesn't mean I can't share the gospel. I said, holy smokes, you're not kidding. Wow. So I'm sitting there with my mother as well. I pull up on, on Amazon, the Bible she wants, a very specific Bible uh, with a, a devotion in it, kind of a daily devotion with Bible verses, et cetera. Um, I said, is this the one you're talking about? And she goes, yeah, buy that. So we bought it and uh, we get ready to leave the house. And she said, I know I'm going to die one day, but at least I know where I'm going because my whole life I've given to God and I've proven to others that God is good. And I hope that when I die and I go to heaven, they have cards because I'm going to play a lot of card games. <laughs> you know, that just kind of goes to, she, she planted seeds all her life. Every single wow. day she planted a seed and she's still planting them at 94. Yeah. That's such an encouragement at 94. She's still worried about sharing the gospel with others. I mean, that's, that's incredible. That is, that's unbelievable. And we'll get back to faith um, here in a minute, but you talked about in college. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your, your journey there. Um, you attended Frost, Frostburg state there in Western Maryland. Um, so talk about the journey, um, how you got to attend Frostburg um, as an athlete and then, you know, kind of how you shifted from player to coaching there. Sure. Really, really cool story. I think, um, a different story. Um, I actually went to Frostburg state to play lacrosse. Um, hmm. I was, a, a, I was a really good lacrosse player. really was. Um, I was always undersized on the football field and I kind of took that to the lacrosse field and just used different skill sets on the lacrosse field, which made me a, a pretty good player. Um, and, I wanted to play lacrosse in college. Um, mm. That was my better sport physically. Um, I had a couple of good opportunities at, at, at bigger schools, bigger levels, but I knew I wouldn't do well there from an academic standpoint. I needed smaller classes, whatever. Um, went to Frostburg. You know, my family's 15 minutes from Frostburg State. Wanted to be near my family um, consistently. Um, so that was kind of a, a, a big driving force in that decision-making process of, hey, I want to be near my family. I do. Um, went there. Uh, the lacrosse route didn't work out. Um, I had a really bad back injury, um, kind of sidelined me there. And then uh, over the next year or two, that's kind of when I went, went back to the book and I said, you know what, I'll, if that's where you're, if that's the way you're taking me, I'm going. Um, 
And uh, a new football staff actually came in at Frostburg State. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to try and get back to back to ball. It's been on my heart. I've been thinking about it. And I just I can't get away from it right now. Um, there's just something saying football, football, football. And I said, you know what? I'll try it. Um, so I met with some of my buddies that were playing ball there. Um, and I said, guys, like, is it something I should do? I don't know. You know, I'm praying about it. And they were like, just, just go see the coaches. Go see the coach. I said, fine. So I went and met with the coaches, told them my situation. I'm like, look, I was a lacrosse guy. Um, you know, my football experience was, was at, a, at a good high school. Still wasn't great. Um, but I feel a tug on my heart. You tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Um, wow. So we got a team meeting next Monday at 7 or 8 p.m. Can you be there? So you bet. So I was there. Um, and in order to get cleared, obviously, you got to go through the whole medical procedure and all that stuff. Um, turns out there was more going on than I thought. Uh, my back was 10 times worse than I thought it was. Um, had some other things kind of going on. And the doctor's like, look, you can do it if you want, but I'm not telling you you should. Um, wow. Well, I kind of took that into, into perspective. Of, okay, what do I really want to do in life? Um, I was like, I feel this pool with football. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. Um, but maybe it's not playing. Mm. And I got a hold of my buddies. Uh, we go to church together here. And uh, he said, hey, why don't you come to practice one day and just watch us practice? I said, man, I, I can't. I don't want to. Like, I don't want to watch a practice. I want to be in a practice. Um, he's like, Stu, just, just come do it. I said, fine. So long story longer, um, he was coaching at Fort Hill High School here, which is where I got my start. Um, and it kind of hit me in that moment. I was like, you know what? This is it. I'm supposed to be on a sideline with a hat and sunglasses and not with a helmet and shoulder pads. Um, I, I talked to some more mentors and leaders and, and friends and prayed on it. I was like, you know, if I'm not supposed to even try and play again, I won't. Um, but what do I do now? Um, the head coach of Fort Hill had met with my friend, uh, Jaleel. And uh, he said, Hey, I need another coach on staff. You know, anybody he goes, yeah, I do. His name's Carson Stewart. Um, and coach Apple at Fort Hill knew some of my family members and had some mutual connections um, growing up here in Cumberland. And uh, he offered me a position there and I was like, heck yeah, I'll do it. You know, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Um, and I spent three good years there, um, enjoyed it, loved it. Uh, and then really I took that mentality of, if this is what you want me to do, God, take me here, lead me here and I'll do whatever you want me to do, um, in this, in this position. And, uh, since then I've just been blessed with, with some incredible opportunities moving forward and moving on in the profession. And, uh, you know, ultimately it kind of got me down to Bellhaven, which is a whole nother conversation in and of itself but uh that, that's kind of that college story that's definitely jeremiah 29 11 in action right i You're mean you went to right. play lacrosse and god says hi huh, watch this i got a, a bigger and a better plan um and so that does it leads you to to coaching you talked about your current position at Bellhaven, but you you did coach at the high school level um there in maryland so talk about your starting your coaching journey and then share the story um, I love the story. So I want the listeners to hear the story of um, from Maryland to same question I asked you, how does a young guy from Maryland <laughs> get to Jackson, Mississippi, Bellhaven University as a coach? By the grace of God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. God. Um, yeah, man. So Fort Hill High School, really small school here uh, in Western Maryland. Um, I think when I was there 2015 to 2017, they had 580 some students, maybe 600. Um, it's a wow. small school, small town ball. We ran the wing tee. 
Uh, we'd go four wide in two minute, and we were rarely in two minute. Um, we had a great coaching staff, a lot of great kids, uh, kids that bought in. Um, and I'll tell you what, man, the head coach at Fort Hill, he is as godly as they come, and he doesn't shy away from anything. Mm. Um, he's an incredible man. I learned more from him in, in maybe eight, nine, ten days than I learned the majority of my college time. Um, you know, just around professors and educators, there's no knock to them, but the, the guy's just on fire. Um, but, uh, I was there for three years. I started out coaching the defensive backs on the JV level. Uh, we were a cover three team. It ain't hard and backpedal, 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 deepest and the deepest man. Um, you know, we were, we were a cover three team and it was, that, that, that was it. Um, but being there for three years, it was really cool to see, uh, young student athletes grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always try and put myself in their shoes, Stuart, always, um, and the age the young men are, et cetera. I always try and think, okay, what would this, what, what is this kid thinking? What is this kid going through? Um, how is this young man perceiving others? How am I perceiving him better yet? Um, mm-hmm. and I always want to relate things to that specific person. Mm-hmm. Um, and at Ford Hill, I was able to do that because of the impact that coach Apple had on his staff. Mm. Um, it was more of a, Hey, you're here to do a job. I'm going to let you go do it. And that was so refreshing to me. It was like, wait, I'm just this 20, 21 year old kid uh, off the block up here on the, on the corner that you don't really know from Adam. And you're just going to let me go coach and teach and love on these guys. You know, that was his faith in action. Mm. Hey, here's the standard. I trust you. I believe in you. Um, and you're here for a reason. So go do it, you know, put your faith in action. Um, Man, we had good success there on the field. A um, couple of kids uh, playing college ball now. A couple of kids have graduated from college. Um, but just great staff, great program, support, supportive administration. Um, you know, small town. Everybody's there on Friday night. Everybody. Um, but it was really neat experience there. And uh, as I kind of finished my time there, um, after my third year, I was like, this isn't it anymore. Hmm. Um, I, I didn't feel that that passion there um and it's no knock to that program or anybody there it was just i felt like i needed more as selfishly as that may sound i needed more um i was getting a little bit comfortable a little little uh little laid back and i said i'm not a comfortable person i, I gotta do more um so i prayed on it kind of reached out to a few more family friends and some guys and said hey look i don't think this is doing it for me anymore you got any advice or you, you thinking of something that i'm not thinking of etc and uh, I said, you know what? I want to coach college ball. Mm. And it was on my heart. It's just, you know, the age group that I'm called to impact right now is college age young men. That was it. And it was just on my heart, on my heart, on my heart. It was college men, college men, college men. And I said, all right, if, if, if that's where you want to take me, I'm going to go. Wow. Um, so, you know, through four, five, 600 emails, handwritten letters, phone calls, resumes, cover letters, you name it, man, from Pennsylvania to Wisconsin to Florida to Nebraska to Maine. Any email I could find, any phone, phone number I could find at college level, I don't care if it's D1, JUCO, NAIA, I'm going to reach out um, because I knew that's where I was supposed to be. I just didn't know how to get there. Um, so all in all uh, – I had a mutual connection with the head coach now at Bellhaven, uh, Blaine McCorkle. Um, I had a mutual connection, never knew the guy, never met the guy. Um, but my cousin, Chad Wilt, who was the D-line coach at the University of Minnesota, 
he and Coach McCorkle were together at Liberty back in the day. And uh, I called Chad and I said, Chad, man, look, this is my ministry. I feel this pool mm. and I have to be at the college level. I don't know how to get there. I don't know what to do. Here's what I have done. Help me. He said, well, it's going to be hard because your playing experience isn't that, you know, that, that high. So you're exactly right. I said, but I'm going to do it. He said, all right, you tell me a few things that you're thinking. And I said, I want to get a master's degree. You know, I want to do the whole thing. He said, well, tell me what you're thinking and where you want to be. I said, I don't care where, I, where I'm going. He said, all right. A couple of days later, um, he calls me and said, hey, there's a guy that's going to call you um, from this area code. I think Coach McCorkle was 804, maybe. I, I don't really recall. Um, he said, do not ignore this phone call. I said, all right, I won't. So Coach McCorkle had called me, introduced himself. And over the course of two weeks, um, I had interviewed for three other jobs in the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area uh, to teach PE, to coach football, some really enticing jobs. And I was like, it's not it. It's not it. Um, so throughout those two weeks, I just prayed on it and prayed on it and prayed on it. I was like, God, kind of stagnant again. You, you were pushing me here. And now here I am. Now what? You know, and that's that question we always ask is now what? Now what? What's next? What's next? And it just hit me like a wrecking ball, just like that that page in the Bible of Jeremiah 29, 11 when I was in college of just hang in there. You know, mm-hmm. just remember, I've got your plan, buddy. <laughs> I've got it, not you. And uh, a few days later, I got offered the position at Bellhaven University to be a graduate assistant. Um, I had a truck. I sold it. I bought a car. And uh, if it didn't fit in the car, it didn't go with me. Um, so you can imagine cramming, you know, 22 years of, of a life into a car, uh, you know, 1100 miles away from home and everything you've ever known, uh, saying goodbye to your loved ones and say, Hey, see you sometime, you know, but I, I know God's taking me here. So, mm. so have some peace in that. Um, and I got to Bellhaven, um, and, uh, shacked up in a, in a old Airbnb for a couple of days. Um, so I could, until I could find a place that I could afford and I couldn't afford much, um, found a little place on the corner of campus there, uh, slept on the floor for the first couple months until, uh, coach McCorkle called me into his office one day and he said, Hey, our moving truck finally came down here. Uh, we got an old bed. Uh, do you want it? I said, yes, please. Um, so I, I, I got a, a hand-me-down bed from him that I slept on for the first two years, really, uh, down there. And that was, that was a gift in and of itself. Um, and then that, that's where I'm at, man. That's where I am at Bellhaven, and I, I wouldn't trade that journey for the world. And you mentioned, you know, earlier that you just finished your master's and you brought on full-time on the staff and at Bellhaven. And Bellhaven is a Christian university, so talk about what it's like to coach at a private Christian university, um, because obviously not everybody that comes to play there is, is – is a follower of Christ. So talk about what it's like to coach there, you know, kind of from the discipleship perspective. Sure. Um, first of all, Bellhaven being a Christian university, we're not shy of the gospel. You know, right. we are thankful that we can preach the gospel to our guys at any given time. Um, and I'll tell you one thing, I've learned so much from our head coach in that aspect is that he has this unique way of just tying everything back to the word of God. Mm. there's moments where I'm in the back of a team meeting. I'm like, Oh wow, that's great. You know, um, as a young coach, that's what I want to be. That's what I emulate is someone of that character and that stature that can just keep a team together, you know, through the gospel really. Um, 
And, uh, you know, our motto at Bellhaven is to serve and not to be served. That's the university mm-hmm. motto. Um, and as you really dissect that motto, that's what Christian leadership and that's what servant leadership is. It's you putting yourself behind everybody and everything else. You know, you're, you're providing love. You're, having, you're, you're taking yourself and saying, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice my time, myself, for the goodness of others and for the goodness of the team. Um, and really from a discipleship, I know that my purpose is to serve and mm. my purpose is to impact and influence others in a positive way. And I'm able to do that without shame at an excellent Christian university, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know that I'll always be at a Christian university, but getting my start there is just mm-hmm. so, so, so foundational in my beliefs and how I hope and plan to carry on, you know, uh, my coaching career, my coaching calling, um, it's really to serve and not to be served. Um, and not everyone that comes there is, is God, 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 God. And that's okay. You know, and that's what our, our calling is, is to, is to show and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and let others see that in action every single day. You know, and it's cliche, but it's, it's leading by example through your thoughts, through your words, through your actions, and, and not wavering in who you are and what you believe in. Um, mm-hmm. And that's all throughout our school, all throughout our program. Um, and all throughout our staff. And uh, it's just really been refreshing to me um, to be around a, a, a great group of men, uh, coaches of high character. And, you know, I learn more there every single day than I could ever imagine um, from so many aspects. But uh, yeah, I mean, what I get to do with my calling and, you know, and coaching football and kind of blending those two together, it's, it's special, man. And, and Bellhaven's a neat place. And, uh, you know, being there and, and being able to share my story and what I believe in uh, and kind of going about that on a daily daily basis is, is really neat. I love what you said, though, about, you know, for you personally, it's just a great place to get that foundation because you don't know where you're going to coach in the years to come. But, you know, having the strong foundation of, you know, your faith guiding that will only prepare you for what's next. I love that. No doubt. It's, it's pretty neat. You know, and coaching at a place like Bellhaven is is demanding on time, right? I mean, it's it's constant. You know, if it's not in season and you're in all season recruiting, it's just always something going on. So, how do you balance that um, the demands of the job with life outside of football? Well, Stuart, I'll say this, and I personally think it's a little bit of a joke, but I'm 26 and I'm single, so my demands outside of coaching are not very high. Right. Okay. Um, you know, I, I like to, to hunt, I like to fish, I like to grill, I like to play golf. Um, and those are my demands outside of coaching right now. I'll be really honest. I don't have a, a family in Jackson. Um, I don't, you know, it, it's just me. I live with three other young guys on staff. We got an apartment outside of town and, you know, it's just us there hanging out and, uh, and going to work every day, coming home from work every day. Um, so truly speaking, the demands right now for me are not that great, but I know they will be one day. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of coaching. And what's really, really unique is that I get to watch other men in this profession work their tail off with a family. Mm. And to me, Stuart, that is so inspiring because that's what I want one day. Mm-hmm. I want to have my own family and, and be a husband, be a father, um, be a good coach. But I don't know how to do all those things. So I'm able to see how that's done. Mm. outside of coaching 
our head coach, our offensive coordinator, uh, our defensive coordinator, and our D-line coach um, all have wives and all have children. And their kids are in our offices all the time, running around, taking the rolly chairs up and down the hallway, as distracting as it may be sometimes. It's awesome. You know, it is Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Um, and to me, that's what it should look like. That's what a football family program should look like. Um, you know, so I'm able to see things on Twitter and with my cousins and uncles that are coaching and whatnot. Um, I'm able to see what life outside of football is supposed to look like one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I think more than anything, just in my current stage, that's, that's so refreshing, um, that I'm able to be around that again. Um, because like I said, my personal life demands down there in Jackson, Mississippi are, are not very high. Um, you know, as long as I can make a cup of coffee in the morning and, uh, and, and get to work on time, that that's kind of my demand right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's good. But you know, that, that's a good perspective, though, that you're not taking that for granted. I mean, you're, you're looking at how those that are in a different stage of life are, are modeling it, you know, to prepare you. That's, that's good. We yeah. should all be doing that, no matter what stage of life, stage of life we're in. We all have people around us that are ahead of us. You know, it's just a good reminder to, we need to always have people inspiring us. That's right. That's right. So let me ask you, um, this is kind of a coaching question. So I don't know, it was last fall, I think it was, it was all over the media about, like it came from Last Chance You, that show, Netflix show, about one of the coaches said, well, everybody cusses at the kids. You have to do it pretty much. Then you had the likes of Tony Dungy and a bunch of other guys came out and said, not true. You know, you can, you can coach kids hard, but not degrade them. So as a follower of Christ in coaching, how do you balance that? I mean, there's nothing wrong with co- coaching somebody hard, demanding excellence, because I, I think that's the right way to do it. I think that's biblical, you know, to demand excellence. But how do you balance that as a coach? Because there is that fine line, you know, where it becomes tearing down and degrading. Yeah. So how, how, do you, how do you balance that? You know, I believe, Stuart, that, A, coaching is a calling. It's not just something you decide to do one day. Um, and if that's a fact, then we're called to build others up, not tear them down. And if we're building others up, then in any way, shape or form, it is not correct to tear them down. I mean, it's just plain and simple. Um, I think that you can be demanding and you can be critical, but you can also be wise with your words and your actions as you're being demanding and as you're being critical. And mm-hmm. you know, we got a staff manual at Bellhaven, which we go through a couple of times a year uh, that our head coach put together and, and we share some thoughts on. And part of that staff manual says this, when criticizing a player, you're always criticizing the performance and not the player. Mm. And I think that's mm. so key, especially now with social media in this day and age of, oh, he said this, he said that, he said this, he said that. Well, the truth is, if you can create the relationships and trust with your players, they know that you're not criticizing them as a human being. Mm-hmm. They know that what you're trying to do is really pull out the absolute best in them and their best performance. And it, it all comes back to your trust in them and their trust in you and that type of relationship that you have with them. Um, you know, and we all have this platform as coaches, leaders, teachers, mentors, etc., where loving and serving others is what this world needs more of. Oh, yeah. If we, if, if we get to do that, we better do it every day. That's you know right. I mean? and, and when we do not do that, that's when we hang the hat up 
and we get out of the profession or we find a way to get back in it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, really and truly the whole negativity and the demeaning um, and the, and the, 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 the putting others down um, I think just takes this mainstream approach. That's what people want to see. They want to see That's right. you do something wrong. That's right. They don't want to see you do something well and then something great. Um, but that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do. Um, mm. So, you know, you build trust and you build a good relationship. You have that good foundation with your players and, and, and you criticize their performance and not them as a human. You're going to do great things as a staff, as a program. I don't care where you are, or who you are. Um, but I think that's how it should be. You build them up and you don't tear them down. I like that. I like the, just that, that reminder um, that you're criticizing performance and not a person you know, and knowing where that line is. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, trust is a big piece of it. I mean, it's just that way. I've got three kids, um, you know, and it's the same thing. You know, parenting is uh, coaching and correcting. But, you know, knowing that line, you know, of it's it's this is what you did wrong. It's not you. That's exactly you know, right. As a person, that's that's good. That's what coaching is. You, you, you find the mistake, you figure out a way to correct the mistake, and then you do that collectively. That's right. It is not a pointer finger. It's a, it's a, Hey, grab my hand. I'm going to take you with me and we're going to do this together. That's you right. Know? Hey man, that's good. That's good. So it's no secret that our culture is divided and this is not a political question or discussion. It's just, it's just fact. I mean, you don't have to look far to see it's divided on politics, religion, there's race, there's socioeconomics, you name it. But football Sports, but football in particular, just has a unique way of kind of tearing down those walls. So in your experience as a player, coach, how have you seen sports tear down those walls where ordinarily there is division? You know, I think we've all kind of heard the saying before, um, A, football is the greatest team sport there ever was. Um, But all political, all – uh, economic, all social issues aside, just walk into any locker room and anywhere in the country, anywhere. And you're going to see young men of different colors, young men of different styles of clothing, young men of different shoe sizes, young men of different waist mm-hmm. sizes, helmet sizes. I mean, you walk into a locker room and you're going to see the whole world in, you know, in these 80 booths right here, hundred mm-hmm. locker, locker booths, whatever. Um, and sports, as a, as, as a holistic approach, bring people together because any team sport that you'll play, you have to sacrifice your wants and your needs mm. for the goodness of the team. Um, and one thing that our head coach shares all the time is, may your first and most subconscious thought be not of yourself, but be of the team. So if you really want to sacrifice your wants and needs, you came to the right place. You're now a part of a team. Um, with football as kind of the focal point here, I think that bond between those young men is something that cannot be taken away from you. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at a lot of guys now that are, that are getting married or, or having kids and, and the first guy to congratulate them, you know, in a handwritten letter or a text or a call or an email or a Twitter post is a college teammate most of the time. Mm. Um, if not a college teammate, a uh, college roommate. Um, or a guy they worked with uh, outside of football, something of that nature. Um, but football is an all-encompassing 
you know, group of young men um, where relationships are, are, are found and where they're, they're bound together um, and where they just continue to grow. Um, you always say, like, uh, keep your huddle tight, you know, keep your huddle of 11 men tight so the defense can't see what you're doing, that whole cliche thing. Well, it's the same thing in life. Mm-hmm. You know, keep your, t- your, your huddle tight of, of your guys. Um, and really that's, you can just ignore politics. You can ignore, uh, everything that society tells you to do or what not to do and just walk into that locker room and society does not matter. Politics do not matter because you're all there for, for, for one mission, um, and one common goal. Um, and I think that's pretty cool with, with football. I think you're right. I think the, um, the sacrifice and then the, you know, you said at the very end that that one goal, you know, is to me, I say this a lot, so I'm sure there's people listening that may get tired of me using this analogy, but I just think it's a beautiful picture of how God designed the church, big C, you know, one goal, love God, love others. All the other stuff is that divides us even inside the church is all secondary. If we just focus on the goal, the church advances. But a lot of times, even inside the church, we take our eyes off that off the goal, you know, and we kind of get all sideways, e- even inside the church. I just think it's just a beautiful picture um, of how of how God designed that designed e- e- even his church to operate. You're exactly right. I couldn't agree more with that. You're exactly right. Yeah, I just that's why I love, I just love that analogy because it, it applies outside of sports. That's right. A lot of our listeners are like yourself or, or coaches or they're student athletes. And, you know, you're at a Christian university now, but you've coached at the public school side. So how would you encourage that coach or student athlete that's listening that, that is a believer, um, understands the platform they have, wants to be more bold in their faith, how would you encourage them to do that? Yeah, you know, first and foremost, I think um, the easy thing to do is to say this and say, put God first. It's very easy to do, Mm -hmm. to say that. But in reality, putting God first means you have to keep him there every single day. Mm. You know, putting God first and keeping God first are two different things in my mind. Um, I think truly being bold in your faith and stepping out in your faith and in your ministry, you've got to keep God first in every single thing that you do. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's not just on Tuesday afternoons or Friday mornings. Every single thing that you do, you keep God first. Um, He's not uh, uh, a decoration you put on your mantle. You don't put God somewhere. He puts you somewhere. Mm. So if you can keep God first in everything that you do, I truly believe that the chips fall into place. I mean, be yourself. You work your tail off. No task too big, too small. Um, and as you continue to keep God first in all that you do, um, wherever he wants you is where he's going to put you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes, me personally, no doubt about it, I get caught up and I'd like to be there. I'd like to do that. I want to go there. I want to do this. It's all in the scripture. We can make all these plans, but God's the one that is actually going to make them for us. Um, you know, so many of the plans that a man has, um, you know, that, that verse, but, uh, keeping God first, I think is, is the most essential thing. Um, we can all work hard, you know, we can, we can all strive to be great. We can all, uh, tackle this, tackle that, et cetera. But if we're not keeping God there, then then we're doing an injustice to, to our calling and to our ministry. 
That's good. I tell people all the time. I mean, the biggest, my biggest fear is that, you know, just getting in God's way. Cause we always, you want to control the situation yeah. or plans and, you know, it's just, you just get out of the way and let God do his thing. Then things are, are, are much better. Um, you mentioned your life verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, I was going to ask if you had one, you already, you already mentioned you did, but is there another verse that maybe God's used recently to encourage you that you'd share with us? You know, Stuart, I'll be honest. And this is just kind of, this is the way my life has gone. Um, I don't know if uh, that the coach's Bible, the FCA does with the devotion in the back. I think that's the greatest thing since sliced bread, to be quite honest with you. Um, but I guess it was a week ago, um, May, what day was it here? It was May. Yeah. May 9th. All right. My devotion in this deal on May 9th was Jeremiah 29, 11. Mm. So six days ago or seven days ago, whatever today, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope in the future, prosper not to harm you. That was six or seven days ago. Look at where we are right now in the world and all that's going on. You know, that spoke to me and it continues to speak to me. You know, it, that, that's my verse and I'm sticking to it. You know, um, I love God's it. got a plan for me. God's got a future for me. And he just keeps reminding me of that over and over and over again. Um, and he might not be prospering me right this, this second, but he's going to, you know? Um, and I, that just kind of hit me a week ago, just in, in the whole situation of this, of uh, what's going on in our country. It's just, look, look to me, you know? My thoughts are higher than yours. My ways are higher than yours. I've got you covered, Carson. I've got you. Um, yeah. And, you know, man, that was six days ago and still speaks to me. That's um, awesome. Yeah, uh, that's that's crazy how God, God does that, right? Um, that's good. I love it. So the last question, um, there's two words in sports, all in. I mean, it's all over, you name it, T-shirts, wristbands, chin straps, just name it. You know, and we don't have to talk about what it means, but it's also, you study the Gospels, you know, Jesus talks about often, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross daily. And basically, it need to be all in. So just from a practical sense, Carson, what does that look like on a daily basis to be all in your walk with Christ? Consistency. Um, mm. Consistency in everything that you do and everything that you say. You know, you always hear the he can walk the walk, but can't talk the talk and vice versa. If you're consistent and you're constantly making sacrifices and putting your best foot forward and everything you do, um, you know, serving Jesus Christ, et cetera, it has to be done consistently. Um, and that kind of goes back into the, Hey, keep God first. You don't just put him there. You keep him there consistently. Um, so being all in, in a program in a team, uh, in any organization, uh, and even in the corporation or, or, or uh, business world, be consistent. Be consistent mm-hmm. in your approach. Be consistent in your words, your actions. Um, and consistency, to me, equals being all in. That's awesome. I like that. I'm writing that down. Consistency equals all in. Because that's so, so true. Um, and you said it a couple times. Um, you know, we talk about putting God first. And that it is important. Sure. Um, but a lot of times, that's where it stops with with people is, you know, God's first and then doesn't stay there, you know, and it's not reflected in words and actions. That's right. Um, that's good. I love it. Hey, well, um, I, I've enjoyed hearing more of your story. I know people listening encouraged as well. So I, I really, really, really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for thanks for uh, being willing to do this. Stuart, I appreciate you, man. And uh, I got that hat it's sitting right over here on my on my other table here. 
every uh, every one I take, I wear it. So uh, I appreciate awesome. you and what you're doing, and, and thanks for this opportunity, man. It means a lot. You bet. Thank you again to Carson for taking time to to share his story. And, and as I look over my notes, as I as I do often, um, and just try to pull out some nuggets from each episode, there's two words that just stand out to me in that whole conversation: love and sacrifice. He saw it from his family, but ultimately, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came because he loved you love me, and He paid the ultimate sacrifice. He gave His life for you and for me. So just what a beautiful picture of Jesus in Carson's testimony. I know I've just been blown away by His encouragement over the last few months of getting to know Him um, just via phone, text, and and social media, and and look forward to the day that we can sit down in person and talk more, but uh, just, just two words, love and sacrifice. And I would just challenge you as we close out this episode, that over the next few days of after listening to this, that you would just ponder the words love and sacrifice in your own life. And also in, the, in, in relation to what Jesus has done for you and for me. Just think about two words, love and sacrifice. Write them down somewhere where you'll see them every day. So thank you again to Carson just for challenging me personally, and I believe challenging you as well. I'd ask you to share this with somebody as well, that they could hear the power of a story and what it means for someone to love and to sacrifice so someone can come to know Jesus. So share this with somebody. If you're not a subscriber, also um, click the subscribe button. And and as we say often, we love to hear from you. You can go to our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org, or any of the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the search bar. Just type in All In Sports Outreach. Find out who we are, why we do what we do, opportunities to pray, serve, and give. But also, send us a message. We love, we love to hear from you. So thank you for listening today. Thank you for your encouragement, your support, and your prayers.